Well, if you came to church thinking you were going to hear Bishop Martin Mims, surprise, we have a little bait and switch. If you read through the, the uh, announcements coming up, this was supposed to be Bishop Mims' visit with us, his sermon, encouragement to us, but he lives in the panhandle of Florida, need I say more. So uh, he's fine. Uh, he was actually trapped in Virginia along with his wife and daughter, and so they weren't able to fly back until yesterday and got in late, and we said, look, it's okay. Alex can preach one more sermon, you know, it's okay. But I'm sorry if you came expecting Bishop, Bishop Nins, because I'm, I'm not him, but, uh, but I am here, so that's, that's my advantage over Bishop Nins, so. Well, I want to, um, that's my, probably my only advantage over Bishop Lenz, but here I am anyway, so I just want to think for you for a few minutes this morning. If, if somebody barged through the doors right now and came up to the front and stood before the congregation and said, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I, I have lived a really good life. I've worked hard to try to live the moral, ethical standards of the scriptures. But I have realized that, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that, and that in fact, there's no way to be uh, right before God except to follow Jesus. So I have come to follow Jesus, and I'm committing myself to this congregation. I'm going to be here for Sunday services, and I'm going to get involved in the life of the church, and I'm ready to be a follower of Jesus. We would all be ecstatically excited, wouldn't we? Amen, right? I mean, we've seen a few of those people, and it's super exciting. It, it, it just motivates the whole congregation when we see that, that sort of a radical turnaround, a decision to follow Christ in a radical way. And, and so we would be ecstatic to see it. But Jesus, I would suggest to you, based upon our gospel reading this morning, would not be ecstatic. As a matter of fact, I imagine that Jesus would say very similarly to what he says to this rich young man who comes to him in chapter 10 of Mark's gospel. Not yet. One more thing. One more thing. That's what I want to think with you this morning about. That one more thing. Why is it enough for this young man? All that he comes to offer him. Surely we are all sinners in progress. Surely there's things in our own lives that we hold back from Christ. Why does Jesus require such a high bar? I don't know about you, but as a young Christian, I can remember as a teenager, from the earliest time that I began to be serious about following Christ, I struggled over this passage more than any. Probably because in those days I wanted to be a lawyer, probably because I wanted to be wealthy, and, and, and I just I identified with him in some of the Gospels. This is a rich young ruler or a rich young lawyer. Maybe that's what it was, but there was something about this passage that I couldn't get past. I was deathly afraid that Jesus was going to call me to be poor. <laughs> that I was going to have that Assisi, that Francis of Assisi calling, right, to poverty. You know, that's, what, that's Francis. You don't know the story of Francis. He, he was wealthy. He was a merchant's son. And he, he heard the call of Christ, and he gave away everything he had to the poor, and he went after Jesus and became St. Francis. Is that what Jesus is calling each of us to? Have we all but Francis missed calling of the Lord? Well, 
I don't believe so, and I'll try to make that case in a minute. But for now, I want to focus on this one thing more that Jesus requires of the young rich man. It seems that this wealth that he has is rooted in his life such that the call for him is radical surrender. But I would suggest that the call for each of us as a follower of Christ is radical surrender. It may be something different in your life. For me, at the age of 15, it was, it was reputation. I was trying to climb the social ladder and the call of Jesus was to befriend the outcast, the lonely, the, the person that didn't have friends. But for you, it may be something different. It may be power. It may be reputation. It may be status. It may be pedigree. It may be your children, who they are. It may be who your daddy is or who your mother is. It may be that, that sense of belonging to a, 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 a real established and an important family. It may be your intelligence. It may be your physical strength, stamina, your skill, your personality. I don't know what it is, but for this young man, it was wealth. And it's really interesting to me that, that Jesus doesn't just say, dispense with your wealth, get rid of your wealth. It's, it's not just that your wealth is the problem. And I think that's the root of understanding that we're not all called to be dirt poor. That root of our problem is not the wealth. It's, it's much deeper than that. It's much more spiritual than that. What Jesus says is sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven and come follow me. It's not enough just to, to be poor, it's, it's to follow Jesus, but in between that it's important. The, the, the giving of what you have to the poor will gain you treasures in heaven and then come follow me. It's interesting, isn't it, that, that oftentimes if we really examine our lives, and let's be honest, for Americans, we, we, we care about wealth. And, and if we think about it, that there's a sense in which our preoccupation with our own financial well-being will cause us to become very callous and attempt to drown out the sounds of those around us who have need. In other words, our pursuit of wealth is often tied to our unwillingness to look at the need, the physical need, the poverty of those around us. Perhaps that's what for this young ruler, this young man, this rich young man, is the, is the problem that, that he's so absorbed with his own desire for wealth, he doesn't care how he gets it, who he has to take it from, or how he has to oppress the people that are making him wealthy. We're not told. We are told that it is both the giving away of wealth and the taking care of the poor that will gain him not only treasures in heaven, but the opportunity to follow wholeheartedly after Jesus. You see, it's not how we begin with Christ. It's how we end. It's how we, it's where we end up. Jesus tells an amazing parable. It's in three of the Gospels, just like the story of the rich young ruler. And, 
and those that parable of the soil, you know that one where it talks about the seed on the path that Satan comes and snatches away. He talks also about the seed, the soil that is rocky, that doesn't build root, and the seed that falls on the, the weeded path that grows up with the weeds and the weeds choke it out. Then there's, of course, the seed that falls on the good soil, and it produces a huge, huge increase. I think it's even a hundredfold. Interesting. Jesus is sort of repeating themes in his parables and his lessons to his disciples. There's, there's, it seems to me that, that Jesus looks at this young, rich man, and he identifies the thing that will ultimately prevent him from following Christ to the end. We've talked before about people who start well in the Christian wall, and now we look around and they're nowhere to be seen. Jesus sees this young rich man and he knows that it is his wealth that will ultimately be the stumbling block of his faith. And so he calls it out. Now, we as the church don't call it out because we can't see with the perfect eyes of Christ. And for us to, to do that as radically as Jesus would be to, to impose our own understanding of, of, the, of the person before us. But Christ is able to see through all that, and he calls it out of this young man. And I, I think he was calling out in me when I was 15, and I believe he's calling it out in each of you. Rod Whitaker, my New Testament professor from my seminary used to say and, and that maybe this doesn't work for you but it works for me. He said that the, 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 the door to eternity is Jesus shaped. As if you took the person of Christ and, 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 you, and you were to put Jesus up against the door and you were to trace Jesus and cut out with like a, one of those special saws that Ken knows the name of. I can't. But anyway it, you, you cut it out and then that and then that was the, that's the door that gets you into eternity. And we have to be Christ-like to go through that. And that works for me. Because for me, then I, it's easy for me to think about in terms of things that I might want to carry. Habits. Um, gods. Little G. Things that I hold on to. Like, you know, oh, I really want to be I really want to be the life of the party, you know? I, I really want to be the smart guy. I really want to be the, the you know, the guy that is everybody's friend. What, whatever it is that doesn't look like Jesus, and Jesus is constantly pushing against those things in our lives, but anything that won't fit the conform to Jesus won't go through that door. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't work for you. It works for me. I believe that Jesus, what he's sees in this young man is he sees that this wealth is, is consuming him. It causing him to be callous about the needs of those around him who are poor, and it's causing him to be consumed, and ultimately it will not fit in the kingdom. And so he calls him to lay down in a really, really radical way. We're told that the young man goes away sorrowful, for he had great wealth. Now this, as you can imagine, drives the disciples nuts. I mean, they are crazy. What in the world, Jesus? Because, I mean, understand, first century Jewish 
understanding of what it meant to be a godly person. To be wealthy was a sign that you had God's favor. If you're wealthy, you're able to care out of your own wealth for poor people. Charity. And so therefore, to be wealthy is to be able to actually do the thing that God in the Old Testament says over and over again. He says it here in Amos that we're to care for the poor. We're not to trample upon them as the judgment in Amos chapter 5 that we read, or chapter 6 that we read today, chapter 5 that we read today. It's that same call. And so, and so here's Jesus saying something more radical than that. He's not just saying that you should give to the poor and care for the poor. He's saying you should give everything away. How can this be? So Jesus speaks into it. He says, how difficult it is for a wealthy person to enter the kingdom of God. And I believe in that moment, Jesus is recognizing that it, that is a basic need for all of us to try to obtain wealth. You don't have to be wealthy, to, by the way, to be consumed with wealth. You can be dirt poor. Y'all have the expression, in rural Georgia, we say dirt poor. I don't know why that is. I think it's because you had dirt floors in your house, and that which my grandparents had, and so that was how you knew you were dirt poor if you didn't have a floor in your house. But, but you don't have to be wealthy. You, you can be consumed with wealth even if you don't have it. And it, it, will, it will, not only does it consume our thoughts and minds, but again, I think this is the character of the person of Christ that he wants to bring out in us, the, the character that begins to resemble God is to begin to care for other people. And if I'm so consumed with getting mine, I'm probably callous to the ways that you have needs that I'm not even thinking about me, let alone attempting to me. He says, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. He, he takes away the word wealth out of it because he can tell that it's hard to understand. And he's saying it's hard to get into the kingdom. It's hard to become Christ-like, to fit this mold that we're called to begin to move towards. He says, with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. He uses that famous line, you know, the camel through the eye of the needle. What does he mean by that? He means take a camel and put it through the needle head. C.S. Lewis has a really colorful example of, you know, he talks about one long bloody sinew of camel being pulled through an extremely long thread of camel being pulled through a needle. Not a pleasant thought, but for the middle school boys in the room, I just caught their attention a little bit there, so that's, that's the reason for that. With, with man, it's impossible. How could, how could the Lord ask me to give up my wealth, or my power, or my prestige, my, my personality, my skills, my strength, my intelligence, my kids, my parents, all the things that I mentioned before, how, my pedigree, how could the Lord possibly ask me to do those things? What would I be if I, did, if I didn't set my identity in that? With man, it is impossible. With God, all things are possible. See, the reality, I think, for the life of a Christian is that 
every day we get up and we have to make a decision, will I dive in to all the things that I would build my life around and that I would give a sense of purpose and meaning and identity apart from Christ? Will I once again lay them down? I don't think this was a one-time-off thing. I know it's not for me. It's a daily, if not weekly, struggle to lay down those things. Will I die to them again? Will I die to success? Will I die to the favor and to the to the to the applause of men? Will I follow Christ? Well, the impossible with God, friends, just to remind you, is the grace. It is God's favor on us. That we're not consumed by these things. That we're not consumed by a pursuit of wealth. That we're not calloused to the needs of the poor. That we, that we don't build our identity on the things. That we, don't, that we don't become consumed with these things that would draw us away from God. It's grace. The work of grace is that the grace that the Lord is working in us to help us let go of those things. And I believe that the Lord wants to do that in the life of this young, rich man, and yet he can't see it. He can't imagine it. He's so got his life wrapped around the axle of wealth that he can't even imagine letting go of it. Which makes me wonder, what? how did he attain his wealth? He was really preoccupied with being a good, moral, righteous, right person. Kept all the commandments. But don't we know that tendency in ourselves to say, you know what? Shh, leave me alone. I got it. I'm, I'm all good. I'm not, I'm not sinning. I'm not doing well. Shh, leave me alone. You know? No. Get out of my way, you know. Shh, no, no. I'm not going to... I'm not going to look at that. You know, I'm not going to touch that. But, but we're no more like Christ than anything. Because Christ looks at the, into the eyes of the poor. Christ looks into the, to the broken heart. And he, 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 he ventures into the fray of humanity and pain and suffering and says, I love you. Follow me. It is by grace that we are saved. It's by grace that we, that we begin to let go of those things that would ultimately consume us and cause us to be drawn away from the Lord. You, I have to believe, my faith is such that I believe that when the Lord points at something, no matter how severe, if it's a relationship or if it's a job, whatever it is, if the Lord sees fit to call you to give it up, it will ultimately kill you if you don't let it. I believe that. I believe that in my whole heart. Well, Peter, God loved Peter. And Peter says, you know, we've left everything to follow you, Jesus. You know, it's like Charlie with my, my Samantha. I'll sing the song for you, Daddy. Samantha wouldn't sing. Charlie would always sing the song, right? Peter's like, I, I, you know, hey, this is the chance to be the good guy here. I, I'm going to, 
Charlie and Sam are my daughters, by the way, in case you don't know. And, and so, but, so Peter yells out, we've left everything to follow you. And, of course, it's interesting because Peter hadn't left his family. He still had a mother-in-law that Jesus healed. He still occasionally went back to his old vocation of fishing. He, you know, he, he hasn't abandoned his family or his vocation. So has Peter really left everything? Well, what Peter means, I think, is that you are our identity, Jesus. You're the one we're building our lives with. And this is why I don't believe we're all, we all have to be completely penniless. Peter says, we, we are not, we're, our, all of our ships are on Jesus. Jesus says, none of you who've given up houses or families or children or land or all these things, none of you who've given these things up for for me and for the gospel will not receive a hundredfold with persecution. This is not the name and claim. This is not the prosperity gospel. If you'll just give your money and your life to Christ, then you'll have no troubles at all. You know, it, it, it's there. There will be suffering. There will be hardships. There will be pain. But Christ will always bless us greater, and and the fullness of life will be ours if we but surrender to him. It's the, it's the same theme that Jesus says when he says, you know, if you would gain your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life, you will gain it. It's, it's this idea of surrender to Christ. Christ is the priority. Always results in the greater work of God in our lives and therefore blessing. Jody and I found this to be true. I mean, we, we've... We've had to give up things. We moved to Gainesville 18 years ago. We lost money on the house. If you know Jody Farmer, she does not lose money on the house. She's really good at real estate. But the Lord called us to give it up. And he's hundredfold. He's blessed us. But once again, and it happens in all of our lives, there's that moment to say, Will you hold on? Is that what you put your trust in? Or is it Jesus? I love the writer of Hebrews. Consider Jesus. Right? Hebrews that we read, Hebrews 3. Consider Jesus. He is our hope. I love the way Jesus ends the parable, he said, or the story. He says, First shall be last, and the last shall be first. Isn't it interesting? In a lot of ways, this young man who's come and knelt before Jesus seems like the first. He seems like the very person to be a follower of Jesus. And yet, because of this one thing, he may be the last. Will you be the first? Will I be the first, or will I be the last? Jesus, we're told, loves the young man. Jesus wants him to be his follower. But he sees the end and knows that this is the challenge. 
this morning, what is the challenge for you? What is the one thing? Would you be willing to name it? I mean, come on, you know, ever since you've been following Christ, it's probably been there. Would you be willing to name it and share it with one of those people that you're in small group community with? For me, I found that when I can articulate that one thing, it no longer has as much power. And I have the benefit of other people praying for me. I had to do it again on Friday with my small group. Chances are, whatever it is, whether it's money or not, it, it has blinded you to the things that Christ is calling you to. And it will not enter the kingdom of God. It's not worthy of you who've been called to new life in Christ. And so today again, He calls us to let it go. If you're here and you're not a follower of Christ, you're a would-be follower of Christ, this could seem like a really discouraging message. But let me say this. Those of us who are followers of Christ have come to realize that, that anything else that we build our lives around will ultimately bring destruction. Only Christ is the hope that does not exist. It's not out of his meanness, but out of his love that Jesus points at you and me and says, let it go. Open me. Let's pray. Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. You point to things in our lives and it is scary to think about truly trusting in you. But Lord, we believe that you have so much more for us and you desire for us to accomplish so much in your kingdom. And so Lord, with eyes of faith and with hearts of faith, we say open-handedly, Lord, take what you need that we might be transformed Our hope is in you. In Jesus' name, amen.